This is T. Earl Grey Hot, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. Galactic Barrier. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of T.R. Grey Hot, an unofficial Star Trek fan podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. My name is Yannick, I'm the French guy from Switzerland and joining me tonight is someone who would never betray me, even for a boatload of beers. Well, maybe for Yes, but definitely anyway, for beers. My good friend Dave. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, Yannick. How are you? I am fine, thank you. Excellent. Uh, been uh, rewatching this episode. Uh, well, last week actually, because uh, we should have had a uh, recording last week, but you know, life and stuff. Yeah. So we didn't. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I've been prepping this. Uh, this review then i realized that my review got lost and trashed and then i did that again and we have a spammer in the uh <laughs> in the chat nice um, we will tell you later on how you can spam us what <laughs> we got this how have you been doing dave well, not promoting spammers um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no it all all good here thank you um we are currently entering winter apparently as we have yeah. had a fair amount of snowfall uh, over the last day we snowfall. are wow. yeah we are well something you should be used to we are um approaching an amber alert for snow tomorrow Ooh. um which means well as far as i'm concerned snowballs and snowmen so oh that that's your amber alert okay mm. All right. Yes. So uh, we we don't have the same the same uh scale for umbrellas. What what do you have what scale do you have in uh, in Switzerland there? Well, I I don't know. I've actually never had a, a an alert alert for snow even when we had like, you know, 30 centimeters of snow. That's that's not that's just almost business as usual. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not exactly something to be worried about. No. It's the norm. It it is, I mm. guess. When there's, we, we got alerts when we've got high winds, uh, mostly more than lots of snow. Oh, okay. So, how how do you get those alerts? Does it just say it's gonna be windy, or yes, we've got we've got <laughs> the uh, um, the uh, federal um, weather bureau or whatever they, it's called. Yeah, uh, they send they have an official app for for the for for the weather and so we can have the uh alerts on that yeah it's the same here we have the met office they look yeah. after the the weather in they look after the weather no you know what i mean yes it, um yeah, because but you no know, you have to care about the weather you have to care about it has to be looked it has to be nurtured it's it loves yeah yes, of course it does it of course it does love. yeah <laughs> how about we actually go to our review of, of, of this episode instead of talking about the weather because the on this yeah, on this episode, we are going to review Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10, The Galactic Barrier, mm. 
which is uh, one. It's what for ten. There's, there's 13 episodes in this season. 13, yes. There are three after this, yeah. Three, yes. Mm. All right. So if you don't have anything to add about the episode or the weather in the UK, we can. No. uh, No. Okay. So let's uh, crack on with this review. Noise. So in this massive teaser which was once again about 20-something minutes, I guess, uh, if I remember correctly. Something like that. Yeah. 14, I think it came to. Something like that. Not that I'm counting. We're at Federation headquarters, where President Rilak chairs a meeting with Burnham, Saru, Vance, General Andoye, Tirina, Dr. Kovic, and a new one, Dr. Irai, Irai I think, Irai, something like that, um, an expert astrolinguist. I didn't know there was some such a thing, but it makes sense. Apparently stars can talk. Yeah, well, I guess it's not for stars, but maybe for people in the star systems. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe, well, maybe. People is maybe some 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 intelligent living organisms might take offense being called people. So, I don't know how, you know. Yes. To be inclusive. <laughs> Kovic explains that they are basically going blind to that first contact mission and that the 10C might not have liked the, the DMA being destroyed. Yeah, I can I can see that. You, know, you destroy my my new toy, I'm not going to be very happy about that. Here's one I made earlier. <laughs> <laughs> they, the Federation, will have to make it clear that it was not their doing which is not going to be an easy task, given that they didn't, they don't even know if the translation would work. And that's something I haven't thought about before I actually saw this scene, that maybe the tenses are like big blobs with no um, uh, mouth or, or nothing to produce any kind of communication signal. Do you know what I mean? If you know, see what I mean, I know completely what you mean. Trouble is, I think I'm thinking either one or possibly two episodes ahead. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we we we've actually had a, a a bit of a a preview of this, but you're absolutely right. As a task force, they have nothing, not a not a, an iota of no, an understanding of who the ten C are, what they are, yes. how they live, how they communicate. Yeah. So, Kovic is absolutely right. Whatever they expect is not going to happen because they simply do not know. Exactly. Well, there's a tiny, tiny, like little chance that it is, but yeah, the 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 odds are against them. Mm, completely, completely. Uh, and any any form of communication between them and the Ten C is going to require a heck of a lot of work. Yes, indeed. Burnham notes that they have to start communication somewhere, as delegates and representatives had questions for the 10C. Kovic then reveals he had more important matters to attend to and won't be present for first contact. <laughs> what? Is <laughs> not going to be there. And uh, I liked that when, I think it was, was it Tirina or was it uh, Andoye who asked what could be... Uh, it was Andoye. They- and they, that they couldn't see what could be more important. And he said, well, I intend to uh, let it like that. 
Just then, a starfleet head whispers in Burnham's ear, apparently it's contagious, and she requests that Rila can Vance accompany her. So everybody's whispering around Burnham, even... Uh, yeah, and she does that again in this episode. I was thinking maybe she didn't, but yeah. It, it's probably easier to point out when she doesn't. It's probably, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, there was a point in that scene, and I I can't pinpoint it because I wrote these notes mm, approximately a year ago. <laughs> Kovic smiled, and I think it is the first time we have ever seen Kovic smile. I think it's when um, Iraye said that uh, his joke was funny, that oh. the translator was just there to confirm, to, what, to, to uh, enforce the confirmation bias. Some, uh, yeah, tra- yeah. Translate confirmation bi- bias from Federation yes. standard into Klingon. Yes, yes, yes. That was it. And yes, he did smile, uh, uh, just a teeny tiny bit, but he did. Yes, didn't he also? No, he didn't. He, he didn't smile, but he was like in a light mood when he spoke with Tilly after her, her mission. For the, the first time she went on on the mission for the academy, I think there, there was a, a hint of that was a, when he offered to her the job. Yes, 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 yes. He he was very much, I would say, I think off duty is probably the right word there. He was very much off duty at the time, so he was being a lot more informal, perhaps even a little bit friendly, ecstatic. Well, for him, that's just <laughs> yes, a little him. bit friendly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In engineering, the three are briefly are briefed by Stamets. The new DMA has the same size, but is much more powerful and faster than the previous one, and will move within the next 12 hours. Despite the fact that many delegates have not yet arrived, including the, rep- the representative from Niva, Burnham believes they must depart soon. Rilak agrees, and Discovery will leave in two hours. So I I thought, why are we told that the Niva representative is not yet here? But no spoiler. Hold that thought. <laughs> Hold, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no spoiler. But I, 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 find, I find it strange that... Why, why, why are they talking about this one specifically? And then soon we will know. Yeah. No spoilers. Once Burnham and Stamet are gone, Rilak informs Vance that she's going with Discovery and has transferred her powers to the Vice President of the Federation. She believes her diplomatic skills will be ideal for the mission. Vance protests and reminds her that Discovery might not come back from her voyage outside the galaxy. Rilak contends that, being the face of the Federation, she has to be present for first contact. I both agree with her and don't agree with her. I agree that being the face of the Federation, she has to be present for first contact. But also, being the face of the Federation, she needs to be to stay safe in order to, in case of a conflict, be able to represent and either, you know, lead the uh, the federation into whatever conflict could happen or if the worst uh, was was to come to sign the 
a surrender treaty or something like that. It's it's you know it's something you you in, in case of a conflict you never go for the head of the opposite side because you need them to to, to if, if you remove the head of, of the other party then there's no leader and and it's worse than uh having a um, one opponent you suddenly have a, a group of people who don't know what to do and right so there's a couple of things off the back of that one mm-hmm. there's there's an old adage that if you remove the head of a monster another one will grow back in its place yes so which could be worse which uh, which invariably would be worse yes However, all the reasons that you stated that a relax should not be accompanying them on this mission are exactly the reason why they have a vice president in the first place. Yes. Yes. So whilst I, I, I do agree with you that she shouldn't be accompanying, accompanying them on this mission, Particularly as the way she's talking, she is already resigned to the possibility that they're not going to return from it. Yes. But with a mission as critical as this, you need somebody there who is representing the Federation <laughs> more than just Burnham can. And don't get yeah. me wrong, there's, there's no better representative of the Federation than Burnham. Except possibly Rilak. Yeah. And if you're going to do something like this, you could do something as big as this. This is first contact. This is this is big. Then the best thing here to do is to split the work. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's would what you, I would said. Would you send the vice president on this mission? No. No. We no, don't even know who the vice not. president is. Nobody knows. No. I mean, even even now in in... Countries who, who that have this vice presidents, we don't know them. But yeah, that's why I said I agreed. I both agreed and mm. didn't agree, because yeah, that's that's probably the right thing to do, and also maybe the worst thing to do. Even Memory Alpha doesn't know the name of the <laughs> vice president of the Federation of Planets. Well, it is <laughs> the vice president. The vice president, yes. For for their own safety, they should stay <laughs> anonymous. Yes, yes. On board his ship, Booker is ready to dump Taka on an habitable planet nearby. Taka tries to justify his actions and points out that, thanks to him, they now know the power source is on the other side. Podcast network. Booker wants to go there and grab the power source, but Taka manages to make him realize he's in over his head. To go through the galactic barrier, they will need programmable antimatter to protect the ship. As will Discovery. Taka knows where there's a stash. Of course he does. Programmable antimatter. Well, makes sense. They use antimatter in um, warp core. They've been doing that for ages. So now they have programmable matter. Why wouldn't they have programmable antimatter? The only question is, why is it the first time we hear about that? Precisely. I mean, we first heard about programmable matter, episode two, maybe three of season three. In fact, it might even be the first one. The first one. First one. When they arrived when at the, the station. That's right. And we're now 13, 23 episodes in from the start of that era of Discovery, and this is the first time it's been mentioned. 
Yes. I had the same, the same thought. Why is it the first time we hear about that? But then it's kind of logical that they have programmable antimatter if they have programmable matter. Mm. Back at Federation headquarters, Saru and Bryce are talking about Bryce's work with Kovic on extragalactic communications, which, according to Bryce, won't be ready just yet before they make first contact. As Bryce leaves, Saru turns to Tirina, standing by, and nervously approaches her. He tells her he would like to take her up on on her offer to share a meal. He also tells her that he thinks maybe there was more than friendship between us. Before Tirina can reply, though, she is approached by one of her heads and she has to go, leaving Sarah with the question unanswered. And I was like, no! Uh, Talk about timing. Yes, but I don't know how well Kelpians cope with body language. Because looking at Tirina's body language, she was hanging on every word he was saying. I don't think she needs, certainly from my perspective, she didn't need to answer. No, but still, (laughs) it's like, uh, it would have been nice. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Very, I mean, Saru, I've, I've got to hand it to him. You know, full standing ovation for that. That was, yeah, that would have taken him a lot of courage. Yes. But there's a twist with that, as we will see. Yes. Later. About discovery, Burnham is pleased to see that Ansina Adiratal has returned from Trill. Stamets is ecstatic about the work Adira has done since they came back, but that makes them a bit uncomfortable and they somewhat awkwardly say they had to go back to work. Burnham encourages Stamets to hang in there before receiving a message, the president was waiting for her. Ooh. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> what have I done this time? In her radio room, Burnham and Redak have an open and frank conversation. The ship and crew are Burnham's concern. Diplomacy and delegates are relaxed. No more questioning order. No more questioning orders on the bridge. Redak agrees. <laughs> How many times did they have this conversation? It's, the, I think it's the third time, something like that. I think there's still a an issue of yeah trust, yeah uh, about this, and it's probably not the last time this kind of question is going to get asked anyway. But I think both of them the. the the problem we have here is that both of them are incredib- incredibly strong personalities. Yes. They're very strong people. They are both natural leaders. So whenever one of them makes a, de- makes a decision or proposes a course of action, the other one's going to be like, yeah, I wouldn't do it that mm. way. Yeah. So you're always going to have this clash. They're never going to agree on things. So these conversations around I suppose the parameters of war some something like that yeah something along those lines yeah so before we go into this let's just make it clear and make an agreement that this is how we're going to act yes I just wish they would remember each time 
<laughs> True. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's the, at least the third or fourth time yeah. they, they do that. But uh, anyway, hopefully it's going to work this time. Yeah. <laughs> Pernam returns to the bridge for the departure. They will jump about four light years from the barrier and warp from there. Pernam addresses the crew and the delegates, reminding everyone that going where no one has gone before, had that before, mm. was not going to be easy, but she's confident that with the ship and the crew, they will succeed. That was a nice pep talk. It was. There's a slight anachronism in that. Mm-hmm. The bearing in mind that we are... No, sorry. In the... Considering the age of discovery mm, yes they have come from an era prior to that of the original series yes yes they're 900 and something years in the future now but thinking of where their era was the anachronism is that the phrase was never <laughs> where no one has gone before until <laughs> i think it might have been uh, Star Trek Six, yes, the end of Star Trek Six. The end of Star Trek Six, when Kirk corrected himself, yes, he said, "Where no man, where no one had gone before." Yes, so that's the anachronism. But I understand they have to bring it into the common time. Yes, and Burnham wouldn't say that where no man has gone before. I think. I mean, well, if it, if it had no. been Pike, maybe. Uh, <laughs> No, but Pike's Pike's too modern for that. I don't. I don't think he would yeah, have done. Yeah, true, true. But no, you're abs- you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought about that when I heard the phrase. I, I, mm. I thought, you know, ah, ah, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah not right. right. A little bit squeaky. Right. Yeah. So that was massive teaser, uh, and I shortened it uh, from from the review. <laughs> you wouldn't <lot>. know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> now, I had a bit of a nerd moment when I watched this uh-huh. the first time round, and uh-huh. I have written 27.1%. 27.1% of what? Of the episode. Of the episode. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Over yeah, a no quarter wonder. of the episode was the yeah. teaser. We've not even had the opening credits yet. No. <laughs> so, on to Act 1. Discovery arrives nine light years away from the barrier, which will greatly affect the schedule. Yeah, instead of four. Mm. I mean, even if they can warp very fast, which probably they can't because of the uh, the uh, proximity of the barrier. But uh... Burnham asks Saru to update the delegates in order to set a course for the barrier maximum warp. Why would Saru have to go himself, see every delegate to to update them instead of, you know, pressing a button and saying, hey, uh, we have a slight delay. Hang on tight. couple of things there. I think the first one is that the personal touch is more important. So doing it in person mm-hmm. would, is, is, is a, 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 a nice, nice way of doing it. The second thing there is that I'm pretty certain... Um, just quickly scanning ahead. I'm not sure whether if this actually occurs or not. Um, the delegates are likely to be in the same place, like a shared lounge or something. Okay. 
So it's one person going to one location and just giving a, a personal update of where we are. Okay. Rather than a, an impersonal over the radio kind of thing. I buy that. Yeah. Okay. Saru encounters Kerber in the corridors and ask, and ask him to spread the word to the delegates. Well, that kind of negates your previous statement, doesn't it? If, if Saru needs Kerber's help, probably they're not all at the same, in the same place. But anyway. Um, don't know. Yeah. Saru then spots Tirina. What? She took the place. Yeah. She took the place of the Niva delegate who couldn't make it on time. There's, that's why we were told that he was not going to be there, this mm. one. Hmm. Kelber realizes Saru talked to her, although Saru confesses he would not have done so if he had known she would be on board. Yeah. Awkward. Completely. Totally awkward, yet so sweet. Yes, indeed. I wonder if that, you know, waited in, in the, in, in Tirina's decision to stay on board. You know, like, uh, the delegate can, oh, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay, I'll stay. <laughs> Oh, th- there's there's the possibility, and this needs to be considered, that Tarina may have either directly or indirectly, no, prevented the original delegate from attending. You that, know, that would be devious. Stuck, stuck a knife through the, their tire or something. I don't know. I don't know what they do in uh, on Niva. Space tire. That's <laughs> space tire. Stuck a banana in the um, exhaust. Exhaust the uh, plasma vent. Yes. <laughs> uh, Kelber assures Saru that he's not the only one made to be feel foolish by his feelings, and continues with Kelber and continues with Kelber to inform the delegates. Yeah, he's not the only one. That's that's mm. for sure. I mean, that happened to anyone, everyone. I think. At least once, maybe. Yeah. Meanwhile, on an unknown planet, Taka and Booker approach an emerald chain work camp. Booker is not too happy with that and points a phaser at Taka's head. Taka says that this is where he escaped from nearly 10 years ago. The camp has been out of commission since. Booker wants to know the whole story before they proceed. At gunpoint. In a series... Yes, at gunpoint. Yeah, but of course... <laughs> In a series of flashbacks, Taka tells the story of his friendship with Oros, how they were both put to work on the same project to find alternative to Dilithium. It took a year, but they finally became friends. Under the Chen's regime, they were all they had. Booker finally renounced and fin- uh, that's why it's finally. Booker finally renounced and lowers his feather. They both proceed to get the programmable antimatter. That was a big thing for Taka. Yeah. Because the way that Tarka has behaved, the way he's presented himself over the last few episodes, he's been very, I think impenetrable is probably the word I'm looking for. But yeah, where he's, he's just basically, he's just spilled the entirety of his feelings, his reason for doing what he's doing, and gone into a lot of the background of it, which is so un-Tarka. Yes. So th- yeah, this is this is huge. This is huge. Mm-hmm. And 
<clears throat> and Book, I think he recognised this because you could see as he was going through the going through the story, and certainly when he got to the end, his his pointing the phaser at Tarka's head wasn't didn't have as much conviction as it did before. Yeah. So so he was like, oh my goodness, this must be true. This must be genuine. Yeah. And the story was, uh, was, uh, you know, it was another side of Tarka, something we've never seen. Like he mm. was really enjoying the presence of Oros um, during this, uh, during those flashbacks, during this period of uh, captivity. Which takes me back to the theory that I shared probably two, maybe three weeks ago about how there may have been something slightly more yeah. to Oros and Tarka's friendship than just good friends. Yes. Agreed. More on that later. Indeed. Meanwhile, Discovery comes out of warp at the edge of the galactic barrier and the crew stares in wonder at it for a moment. Burnham puts them to work ordering a double check of the shields and a multi-physics scan of the barrier to figure out what they were getting into. And, better yet, how to get out of it. Yeah, I'd say that was probably as important, if not more yes, so. If not, yes, indeed. <laughs> so, this whole barrier idea, I have, I have difficulty with that. Why would there be some kind of physical barrier at the edge of the galaxy? I equate it to Saturn's rings, perhaps. Well, then, go up. Right. But we, we've identified a number of times in the past, and I have no idea how this works, so uh, I, I'm not an authority on this, that the galaxy appears to be more two-dimensional than you might actually think. Well, the Milky Way is flat. It's not flat as in just two dimensions, but it, it no, is but not it, that. It is significantly shorter than it is longer yeah, or wide. Yeah. We've seen this so, in Enterprise. We've seen it demonstrated in yeah. DS9 as well. Yeah. So, And we've, we've asked the question so many times about why do uh, coordinates only appear to be given in two dimensions? Yeah. We need to get Andrew back on the show. We should do, yes. Yes, we have so many Star Trek-related, but not direct Star Trek questions about space, universe, and everything. It's like we need an astrological consultant. Yeah, we do. Sorry, not astrological at all. No. And I apologize. It's astronomical. Yeah. Consultant. <laughs> um <laughs> Yes, on on standby. Yes. Yeah, like we did, like a hot phone, hotline. Press a button. But did, Andrew, we do have we are, we do have one on speed dial, but yes, yes, or Telegram on Telegram dial, <laughs> tele dial, tele tele telephone. Yes, uh, what? what's that? None. Um, I had a real chuckle during this particular scene. Yes. Because there was a bit during it when they were when they were one one wondering, in staring at amazement at the at the galactic barrier, yeah. and I think it was Reese that said, "Is it wrong that I think that this is pretty damn cool?" <laughs> yes. And in my head, immediately came the phrase, "What would Tilly have said?" 
the same thing, but with, with some more colorful words. words. <laughs> <laughs> colorful metaphors. <laughs> yes. Yes. Indeed, yes. Yeah, we miss yes. Tilly. Yeah. But, well, no spoilers. Hmm. So, on to Act 2. You're doing a great job of cutting this review down. Yes. I'm, I'm actually struggling to keep up with you. If only I didn't lose <laughs> half of the review. <laughs> but, you know, that's what we said when we, we, did, we did the, um, the little uh, announcement thing. That yep, we were the reboot, going yeah. to try to, to shorten the review. We, we don't need to go to every bit of, of the episode. We, we just have to remind ourselves of what was in those scenes and then talk about them. Mm. Uh, so the, the following, it will be a little bit longer because I lost my re- my reviews of Act uh, 3 and 4, but Act 2 is still uh, a short version of that. So let's crack on with Act 2. Saru notes the negative energy concentrations were higher than anticipated, meaning the shields might not hold out. Stamets report that discrete bubbles passed through the barrier at random intervals, comparing them to special cells. It's like Blood cells, but for space, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They should be able to ride with one of the bubbles through the other side. Zora has found a stable bubble nearby. Discovery moves in uh, for what is going to be a bumpy ride, according to, um, was that uh, Detmer? I think she was. Oh, oh she Yes, no, it uh, was Detmer. One of those. Yeah. One yeah. Of them. yeah. As they enter the barrier, everything turns to grayscale. Because why not? Yeah, yeah. Because why not? The shields quickly begin to drop. The special cell was not large enough to contain the ship. Damn it. (laughs) The cell finally forms in front of them and Detmer is able to bring them inside safely. Discovery holds position while the shields are being repaired. Just then, Rilak arrives on the bridge explaining she had received an encrypted message just before they entered the barrier for both her and Burnham's eyes only. Ooh. So, yeah, grayscale, nah, okay. But then inside the bubble, no more grayscale? Yep. Nah, okay. Yeah, so they, 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 they basically drove through a whole bunch of cells to get to the one they wanted to, yes. I believe. Yeah. Um. And they did. They did explain this in dialogue that yeah. it was something to do with the negative energy that wasn't concentrated enough to achieve equilibrium. Yeah, technobabble. Technobabble. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That even even as a as an explanation, it made no sense. No, it was not. No, it didn't make any sense. Mm. But I mean. <laughs> I think we we don't have we don't need to look too much into it because anyway they should not be able to see anything because there's probably no light there not enough light to for them to see things so it's it's probably That's, just a, yeah. a recreation of the uh of the the view screen based on the composition of the whatever is in front of them so, yeah, so it'll yeah, be, why not? Why not grayscale? It'll be sensor let's, scans. Let's, yeah, let's uh, it be grayscale. Yeah, uh, made. But the, the funny thing was that 
the screen for us viewers also turned into grayscale-ish mm. thingy. It was weird. It really was. Yes. Um, but it, it did make me realize that watching Discovery in monochrome is not as much fun. <laughs> no, it's not. Because they, 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 certainly in Discovery, I, I don't know whether it was really an issue elsewhere, but certainly in Discovery, their use of color, they, they use very heavily saturated color. Yes. Very, very strong, um, specific colorings. Yeah. You take that away, and it's like, eh. And thank God they stopped using the lens flare every, <laughs> every 30 seconds. And how would lens flares work in monochrome? Same way they do in color, because it's, it's a light thing, not a color thing. Yes, it is, but it's also, it's also the distortion of color and light in the flare. Which you wouldn't have. You just have the distortion, yes, the distortion of light. It's true that a lens flare is very colorful. So, yeah, I don't know. More, no, more lens flare. More lens flare. Yeah. No. Yes. No. Thank yeah. you. Mm. We we don't want another Gigi Abrams series. There's no there's no lens flare in lower decks. Well, there's nothing in lower decks. So, oh, there it is. <laughs> At the Emerald Chain work camp, Booker and Taka spot a courier's clocked ship flying overhead. Taka is confident that they didn't find the antimatter. He admits he comes every year and starts explaining why to Booker. Flashing back to his time at the camp, Taka and Oros are going over the numbers again when an alarm sounds. Oros panics, remembering the last time he heard that sound, something had happened to the person he was working with. Taka comforts him as he huddles, sobbing, until the alarm ceases. As he calms down, Oros asks Taka why he had done that. Taka replies he had never had a real friend before. Oros finally reveals that he has been designing an interdimensional transporter for years. Taka's mind boggles at the immense power required for such a device, but Oros believes combining the camp's geothermal power source with the warp core they were building would work. Oros explains his people's belief in a place called Kayalis, something like that? Kayalis, I think, yes. Kayalis, yeah. Meaning something like home in their language. A place beyond suffering, a place without the emerald chain. His calculations proved it was real, and he offers to take Taka along. Returning his mind to the present, Taka pushes on to claim the stash. And now we know... It's all dropping into place. Yeah, yeah, everything's falling into place. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, he, 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 he and Oros had a, a, a bromance going. <laughs> Definitely. The flashbacks, um, I'm going to talk about that later on, but those flashbacks, since they're, they're, that they're useful for the episode, but I don't know, I thought they were a bit long and, and, Maybe a bit boring, but I'm I'm going to come back on that later on at the end of the episode. Okay. Let's let's move on with the review because there are more flashback scenes. I think. Back on Discovery, Rilak and Burnham review the message sent by Admiral Vance. The DMA has moved to a new harvesting location in the Alpha Quadrant, and gravitational waves would begin impacting Niva and Earth within the next seventy-one hours. Seventy-one. Why not? 
Rudak believes they had to turn back, but Burnham insists they push forward and make contact, and that she would have to inform the crew. Rudak protests, saying that the news would spread beyond their control, but Burnham believes the crew deserves to know. Back on the bridge, Detmer reports the special cells they were in had merged in a cluster of 42. Ding. Other. It's not 47, but 42. Not 47, Come on, yeah. 42. 42. <laughs> had merged into a cluster of 42 other, like a traffic jam. It could be moments, hours, or even weeks to clear. Given the news they had just received, Burnham and Rilak exchanged glances. Well, I think Rilak, as she explained that, that, that her family was on Earth, I think, or uh, her companion started. Uh, but, but she had good reasons to go back to Earth, you know, and I thought she was a little bit selfish here, um, wanting to go back because. Realistically, there's nothing Discovery can do. You know, just... Well, they could help for evacuation, but they were on a mission. They, she insisted that she had to be there for first contact, and she, suddenly she decided, no, no, let's go back. But that's her emotional side kicking in. Yeah. She stopped being... Uh, a president. Uh, detached is probably the word, the best yes. word I can think of. She stopped being detached and matter of fact about the mission and started to be manipulated by irrational emotion. I yes. sound very Klingon when I'm uh, not Klingon, uh, Vulcan when Vulcan. I'm saying that. Yeah. But I was going to say she's facing a half Vulcan, so she was not going to win. <laughs> no, no, of course not. But the thing, the. The point is, they've got so far, they're halfway through the galactic barrier. Yeah. Give or take. You're about to emerge out the other side. we got to turn back now. Yeah. Heck no. 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 Indeed. No. Think, think of what, what's important at this moment in time. And actually, what could Discovery do yeah, beyond, exactly. beyond the rest of the fleet? I agree. They, they are but one ship, and they are... I, I hate to use the word a cog in the machine, but they are but they a cog are. in a machine. Yeah. A very small cog in a very big machine, but they're doing probably the most important piece of work at the moment. So get on with it. Yes. Let everybody else so, uh, deal with the other issue you've got. In fact, if they do what they had to, came to do, they may not need to. They only have 71 hours. To 71 hours, yeah. Mm. Plus travel, uh, including travel time. Yes. I think Burnham reached a new level of whispering in this, in this, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, jeez. Uh, yeah. She does like her whispering. It's very much become a trope, hasn't it, with, uh, with Discovery. Uh, I, and I've noticed yeah. that there are, uh, some of the other characters have started doing the same, including Rilak. Yes. Yes. Maybe, maybe the, they realized that Zora can hear everything and say, they suddenly you know, begin to speak in a very low so that Zora can't hear. Yeah. But that doesn't work because that, that lady in the sphere over there, she can understand when I whisper. So I think Zora can do yes. that too. But I wonder, I wonder if the, the sphere that you're referring to thinks, is whispering again? <laughs> I don't think it thinks. I think he's no. just programmed to respond to one 
And even if it world. did, it would be thinking in French, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Mm. It would. Right. Let's move on to Act 3. Burnham asks Stamets if he had a solution. He does. Another cell is forming near a current which they could ride out to the barrier. Sora does not believe the shields will hold that long, but Stamets suggests using the cells blocking them until they collapse. Panam is wary, given the exposure to the negative energy that would result, and Awashagun estimates shields would not hold for uh, about five minutes. Stamets, however, says he is, quote of the week, cautiously optimistic-ish <laughs> about their chance. I guess it's better than, you know, having no chance at all. Yeah. With no options, Burnham orders a course plotted. So they're going to use small cells and jump from cells to cells until they catch the uh, the one that's drifting. Which is a good plan, I it guess. Did, did I spoil this earlier on slightly? Yeah, slightly. I think I'd, I might have said it a little bit early then. Yeah, but that's okay. You are a load. Thank you. In the work camp, Taka enters the space that had been his home for close to two years. Taka's mind goes back to his time there, working on equations with Oros. Booker finds the cabinet empty, but Taka reveals a spot under the wall buried in the sand. He and Oros had stolen a supply. To, uh, he and Oros had stolen a supply to use for their transporter. They had to use it sooner than expected because the armor chain was shutting down the camp. In another flashback, Oros and Taka make their preparations and activate the transporter, but the power fails within seconds. They need more, more energy. The alarm suddenly go off, and both realize the chain was on to them. Booker asks what happened after that, and Taka concedes Booker has been right that he was the worst kind of idiot. Booker understands the feeling, having blamed his father for negotiating with the chain, but realized perhaps he found it easier to blame his father than to face the fact that, ultimately, he was powerless to stop them. He saw that desire to avoid being powerless as what drove him, and perhaps what happened to Oros was what drove Taka. However, if they were going outside the galaxy together, Booker wanted to know who he, has, who he was dealing with. Yeah, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I am still not clear what happened exactly. So if, if you have insight on that... Because it happened very fast and I did, didn't get everything. I, I didn't want to listen to it in French just to understand that. So <laughs> I thought, well, Dev is going to explain to me. Uh, are we due another flashback or are we? Uh, is that everything? I'm not sure. I think it's everything. Okay. So which bit of, it, which bit of that scene specifically what? are you struggling with? Well, the guard enters, and yeah. then they talk to Tucker, and I had the feeling that he was spying on Oros. He was sent to spy on Oros. I don't know if that's the case, because I just couldn't... I, I watched it twice, but I I just couldn't get the exact meaning of that. Uh, Taka did say something about this, and now I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, what... When he said he was the worst kind of, let's say, idiot, idiot, he 
did hang on here we are right so yeah so it is mentioned in the review and obviously it must have been mentioned in dialogue that Tarka revealed to Asira about the transporter that Oros was building okay. in order to gain his own freedom. So basically, okay. he sold Oros out. So that so, was, I thought, but I was not sure. So actually, your very clever substitution of the word idiot, I think, was probably inaccurate. I think the word that was already there is probably the one that really fits. Yes. He he was, I need to find a word that will fit this. He was a grass, I think is yeah. probably the nearest thing. Okay. That right. in, in order to selfishly get himself out of the situation he was in, oh. he, he basically yeah. dropped Oros in it. Yes, okay. But it, it, it occurs to me that even before... No... At the point that that alarm went off, yes, which confused me, why would the alarm go off? Yeah. If they're sending the uh, the guards anyway, wouldn't it make more sense to surprise Tarka and Oros yeah. by kicking the door in rather than setting off an alarm first? They obviously realised what the issue was. So at that particular moment, when the the conclusion of the deal that he had made with Asira happened. Yes. Tarka was like, this is wrong. I should not have yeah. done this. Yeah, yeah. Because of how close he'd got to to Oros. And actually, I realized that it was probably written in the review, and I removed that um, because reading forward. But anyway, let's move on. Thank you for the explanation. Sorry, I cheated and had to look for it in the review, so... The uncut version of the review that I've got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in another flashback, Taka uses the guard weapon to first disable and remove his own slave controller, and then Horus's. He tries to help Horus to his feet, but his ribs are broken and he's in too much pain to move. Horus forgives Taka, who believes he doesn't deserve forgiveness, but Horus assures him he too would have done anything for freedom. Horus would find a way to fix the transporter, and they would go to Kayalis together and he urges Taka to leave now. Taka promises he will come back from him. And that is the explanation why he comes back every year. Because mm-hmm. he had to leave. Well, actually, the, probably the next part uh, is, is also um, part of the reason. But yeah, that, that's why he comes back. Yeah, so that, uh, that, that I think I removed the uh, important part of the, of the review. Well, that gives us a, a you know, uh, an, uh, pretext to talk about the episode instead of reading the review. Yes. Yes, indeed. Miss miss stuff out, ask the question, (laughs) because you don't know what it was about, and then someone else has read it, so they answer the question. Yeah. Yeah, it works. It's discussion, isn't it? Yeah. Taka hid in a cave for a week, and when he came out, there was a massive power surge in the camp, and ships leaving. When he returned to the camp, what... When he returned, the camp was deserted. Oros was gone, but Taka found their symbol for Kaelis, the symbol for the golden ratio. He believes Oros made it to their new home. He continued to return every year, hoping to find another sign and eventually build his own transporter, but could not find the power source until the DMA. That, Taka concludes, was who Booker was dealing with. So, question... Do we like Taka now? 
<laughs> this is a trap. Yes, it is. I wouldn't say I necessarily liked him. I know I know. I said either last week or the week before, I was warming to him slightly. I wouldn't say I necessarily like him, because I th- still think he's an arrogant... What's it? But yes. it makes a huge difference knowing a person and understanding yes. the reasons why they are who they are. Uh, understanding the reasons why you don't like them too much. Yes. If that makes that, sense. Uh, uh, Oh yeah, I was gonna say something like that. Yes, that I still don't like him, but previously I just had that you know you know that feeling you have when you don't like someone, but you really don't know why, yep. or you know that like you feel like maybe maybe you should like them, but you don't, and they, it, it's not it's not really good. Now I know what he did. And I know what he why he's looking for the, the the power source, but I still don't like the way he goes about finding that power source, like you know ignoring everybody's safety and trying to be really selfish, but selfish in the now to be with someone else later. Right, understanding his motive. Yeah of what he's trying to do and it it's it's how he's trying to do it that is is dislikable exactly so now i don't like it for what how he's doing things not why he's doing them if you see what i mean i understand completely i i actually have a lot more respect for him now that i understand why he's doing what he's doing yes doesn't mean i like the way he's doing it which is exactly what you said but having having that 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 little bit of detail filled in, the gap filled in of the the motive, the motivation, the promise that he made, which he mentioned either in the last episode or the episode before, he said that he was keeping a promise. Yes. We now know what that promise is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I have so much more respect for Tarka, for his single-mindedness, for his focused purpose in trying to keep this promise that he made to somebody who he clearly cares so much about but unfortunately he's stamping on people's heads as he goes there yeah but even following on from that the fact that he was willing to sell to sell oros out doesn't endear me endear him to me whatsoever but what i really love about it is that not only was oros willing to forgive tarka for that indiscretion he would have done exactly the same himself. I guess, yeah. It's, when, when it's a situation, hopefully, none of us and none of, of all the people I know will have to endure one day, you know, being, being captured and, and forced to do things in, in a time of crisis. But, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, anything for, for freedom, I guess, yeah. What is the biggest human instinct? Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Exactly that. Survival. Yeah. That's all Tarka did. Yes, absolutely. On that joyful note, (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to Act (laughs) 4. 
At the Galactic Barrier, Discovery loses one of the forward shield, shields emitters, and Adira reports they are working on to the repairs. Of course they are. Mm. Detmer reports a few minutes, uh, a few more minutes to reach their target special cell, which Saru estimates will carry them outside the galaxy within the hour. Ooh, good news. Oshikun reports the shields were at 4%, and Stamets reports he could probably buy another 30 seconds. Lieutenant Christopher worries that that was not enough, but Nielsen assures him that within a month, he would be skiing at Zermatt again. Yes, with Zermatt! Woohoo! <laughs> when asked what you would do, what? Woo, who's that? Mm. Uh, Nielsen. Nielsen. When asked what you would do, Nielsen would, she, she, says she would go to Astoria in Oregon, a place she calls heaven. Tetmer and Awosekun both think of Hawaii, while Reese plans to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. Detmer then reports she is locked onto the target cell. Panama does the extra 30 seconds for the shields, and Stamets jokes he will try not to kill them. <laughs> Something Panama's considered always appreciated. Second quote of the week. <laughs> As Awosekun comes down, Detmer expertly maneuvers the ship through until within six seconds to spare, they reach their target. Panam tells Saru to get repairs started, then leaves him the con while she confers again with Rilak. I am not sure, had I been Detmer, that I would have appreciated a wish I could counting down. <laughs> no, <laughs> no you, you don't need that kind of pressure. Yeah, shut the uh, up. <laughs> but it's it's not just that, though. Stamets... I quote, Stamet said he could probably buy another 30 seconds of time. Yes. So probably, probably. means might not be able to, yeah. no. but also introduces a certain amount of estimation into it. Uh-huh. So that six seconds they had to spare could have it's been probably. 66 seconds, or it could have been zero. <laughs> could have been 24 <laughs> seconds too late. <laughs> um, No, because they would have been dead yes exactly <gasps> my point. unless they are and this is all a dream this is purgatory what was uh lost L- lost yes and lost and um life on mars was it i haven't watched <gasps> you've not seen life on mars oh you must now see you spoiled life on it mars. for me oh no, it, it, no trust me that's not a spoil that's that's the plot oh. Oh, okay <laughs> Ah, uh, jeez. Yeah, so it it was it was funny. Well, not funny, but it was nice the the, the way they exchanged on the bridge. You know, all, all the what what they were gonna do. I think it's 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 part of a we're in a very dangerous situation and we might not make it. So let's talk about something else. Yep. Why we do that? You know, and it was, uh, yes, and it also. Sure, I think I think that's what's coming up uh, later on. I think is it, or am I imagining that the, the discussion between Redak and and uh, Burnham that the crew is really like a, they're they're bonded. You know, it's 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 a family. It's a it's it's a um, a career, it's a group that they, 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 they you just can't uh, you, you just have to let them know about everything you can't let them um, keep them blind and keep secrets from from them because that that would um 
thing that would destroy the the group, the morale. That is coming up in oh, that's coming up. a couple okay. of scenes. All right. Okay. So sorry for the spoilers. In engineering, Zora compliments Stamet's effort, but Adira points out how close he cuts it. Stamets report that he likely he likes living on the edge. <laughs> yes. Well, it's one thing, you know, liking to live on the edge for yourself, but then putting I don't know how many hundreds of people on the edge on the edge with you. Eh. But he then confesses that he had been a little enthusiastic in their prior interaction with the captain, but he had been concerned about them given their separation from Grey. Oh, that's uh that was not directly uh, linked. Uh, yes, he's talking about Adira now. Yes. All right, let's, uh, let's do that. Yeah. Adira admits it was different without Grey, but not bad different. And plus, they got to tell him all about it when they returned. Stamets decides to offer a fair warning that he would always reach out if, they felt they were, if he felt they were hurting. As his father has never been supportive for him, he would be more supportive for them. Adira considers themselves warned. Okay, Dad. <laughs> yeah, talking about that, is it? Is it? I think it's the first time, really, that Stamets positioned himself as Dad. No, you know, as, as a Dad figure. No, but no. It, it has never been said before. But here, he yes. said, "Okay, my dad didn't do that for me, but I'm going to do that for you," implying I'm going to play the dad's role no okay no i'll give you that i think it is the first time it's been said outright yeah there have been a number of of scenes that oh, we've yeah. observed particularly i can't remember whether it was when gray went to start his training where you had this yes. this marvelous image of hugh paul adira gray yes in like a family hug. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of that. And even bef- even since the beginning of the season oh, and plenty, last season yeah. as well, we've had similar uh, demonstrations of affection, demonstrations of familial belonging. But I think you might be right. This is the first time it's been, it's not been implicit. Yeah, I think so. In Discovery's science lab, Rilak acknowledges being moved about hearing what Earth meant to the crew, but was still worried about revealing the news from Vance. Burnham thinks that there was something else. Where they were now, they could control who knew what, and not much else. She admits this was a hard place to be, earning a somewhat pained chuckle from the president. For Burnham, Earth and Niva were the only homes she had ever known, and she admits that what she was now was angry at the situation, at the creators of the DMA, at Booker, and at the possibility they could just fail. Rilak asks if Burnham's mother, Gabrielle, has returned to Niva yet. Thankfully, she remains with Chivini on Pijar. Rilak's mother's family was on Earth, and her partner has just started a new research project on Luna. I guess that's the moon? Yes, it is. Yes, it's, 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 it's our moon. Our moon, yes. Burnham has not known this and had wished she had said something. Rilak does not believe that would help him, but Burnham counters that it would help her, pointing out that all the people on Discovery had had their what? <laughs> pointing out that all the people on Discovery had at there 
was one another. They had to support each other, which is what the crew had done all throughout, but to do so required honesty, both with themselves and one another. Let me know where you, where you land, she says, as she leaves the president. Alone, with her thoughts. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, nice, nice pun. It. Let me know where you yeah. land. Yeah. Yeah. But I, the yeah. only note I wrote against that last scene was Burnham's whispering entered overdrive. Well, again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another another uh, record. Yes. Yeah. So was this the bit you were referring to? Yes, yeah, I think it was. So. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Back on Booker's ship, Taka has applied a programmable antimatter to the shield generator and tells Booker they could go when ready. Booker tells him not to blame himself for leaving Oros behind, but for Taka, there was not a day that went by where he didn't. Booker hopes he finds him again. Along the way, Taka points out they would stop the DMA and save billions of lives, which he calls the definition of a win-win. Booker replies he will take it. Now, let's get through the damn barrier, he urges. <sighs> I'm still not convinced that's the right, the right way. Destroying the DMA again, another, a second time, trying to get to the power source, it's not a win-win. If you have to destroy something from a species you don't know, it's not a win in my book. No, it's not. But we've already seen that the destruction of the DMA will just yield another DMA that is ten yeah. times as e as efficient. Yeah. So what if the next one is even more efficient? Right. Yeah. And they don't even know what they're going to going to find uh, on the other side of the barrier. So no. About discovery, Detmer reports that they are officially out of the galactic barrier and outside of the Milky Way. To applause. Two applause from the bridge crew. Yay! Yeehaw! Yeehaw! <laughs> Reese notes it was weird to see so few stars not used to seeing space so empty or quiet, as Christopher puts in. Right. Is it, is it so empty between galaxies? Yeah, I guess so. I guess stars are in galaxies, so if you're between galaxies... Well, they just have to turn around and they will see all the stars from the Milky Way, right? Well, presumably everything we see is inside our galaxy. Yeah, well, yeah. So well, out, outside of our galaxy would just be void. Yes. Well, no, no sorry, it can't be void. Uh, well, no, it would be void. There would be literally nothing there. Problem the odd outlier. Yeah. Do need to have Andrew back mm. on the show. Uh, I don't know, actually. What is it? The same void between galaxies that the void we have between planets and and stars. That there are a lot of stars in the Milky Way, I guess. Well, I don't. No, I don't even know. No, because that's not really a void. Because thousands and thousands of bits of Elon Musk's satellites are between. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, with within the within the galaxy, there. Oh, I I don't know now. No, I don't know either. So, because all of the constellations that we see are they all within our galaxy? I no, no of course they are. Of course they are. Because um, our star 
the sun, sun, is not the only star in the galaxy. No. We just haven't found it yet, found them yet. What we need to do is ask Andrew on Telegram and report back next episode. What we need to do is do a special episode yes. that isn't the review of, of a Star Trek yes. episode that just talks yes. about space. Yes, we we should do that. We should write down all with the questions Andrew. we have. Yes. Let's schedule that with Andrew and have a special edition of Tear We're Hot. Sorry, did you say special or spatial? Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I wasn't taking the mickey out of your accent, I promise. Uh, No, 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 no. (laughs) It's good, it's good. It's good. (laughs) I was going to go with the space edition, but yeah. The the special edition, yeah. (laughs) About Discovery, that may reports that they are officially out. I've already read that, so let's not go back in there. Nilsson adds that so few people had seen such thing before. Detmer asks if she could put it in, if she could put in a course to rendezvous with the Tensi, but Redux steps in, saying they should address the ship first. Burnham agrees and asks Christopher open a shipwide channel for the president. Redux announces they have met and overcome the first challenge of the mission and thanks them for their bravery, their strength, and their focus. Unfortunately, she has difficult news to announce. The DMA has moved and is in range of Nivar, Titan and Earth. The bridge crew, with the exception of Burnham, who looks on in approval, watches in stunned silence as Rila continues to speak. In the crew lounge, Saru approaches Tirina as he finishes speaking with General Andoye and offers his apologies for the news. Tirina asks him to sit with her for a while as she finds him a comforting presence. Yes. How lovely. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, but but bad news for everyone. They were like, uh, yeah, they didn't expect that, I guess. Um, but nobody did. Uh, no. I was gonna say something, but it's the next next scene. So <laughs> let's uh, let's let's. Let's uh, review that last scene, and then we can uh, well, freely let, talk let me about just ask a quick question yeah. first. Mm-hmm. When sure. they, I, I should have asked this earlier on when we first heard about it, but having just announced to the ship that the DMA has moved and is now within range of Nivar, Titan, and Earth. Now, I've just answered my own question. I was trying to trying to work out why they said Nivar, Titan, and Earth, and not Nivar, Saturn, and Earth given that Titan is yeah. one of Saturn's moons. But uh-huh. Titan is inhabited. Yes. That's yeah, uh, United Earth it, is, exactly. includes, is include, includes Titan now. Yes. Nobody cares about Saturn because Saturn isn't uh, inhabited, it's a, but Titan it's is effectively a, a planetette. Yes. <laughs> now, question, do we actually know where... Vulcan or Nivar is related to Earth because must be close. I can, I, yeah, I can understand. You know that they, they say, well, it's yeah, it's getting close to Earth and Titan because, well, relatively speaking, Titan is not that far from Earth. No, but I would, I would expect t- Titan and Earth to effectively occupy the same space in yeah. comparison to Nivar, because as far as I know, Nivar is not in the solar system. No, it's not. It will be in another solar system within our galaxy. Yes. 
So I, sh- I, I shall investigate. Yes. In her ready room, Burnham reviews the scans of the hyperfield with Rilak, who comments that she preferred it as a blob of radio waves. <laughs> Burnham indicates their scans show a planet two light years from the field with no signs of life and is sending a team to investigate for the first contact. Burnham thanks her for giving the news to the crew, but Rilak thinks they could have done so together. Why did Burnham want her to do so alone? Burnham replies that in times of crisis, people needed to know their leaders were not rattled by uncertainty or overwhelming odds, and that there was a plan, and that they would be okay. Which, no, they won't, but anyway. (laughs) Rilak was their president, and she could give them confidence and a sense of security. Panam acknowledges that Rilak was her president as well. Rilak is grateful they were able to connect before meeting the Tensi, and Bernheim points out they stood no chance of communicating with them if they could not communicate, communicate with one another. Looking at the viewport as they warped through extragalactic space, Rilak asks what they would find once they reached the hyperfield, and Bernheim admits she had no idea, but whatever it was, they had to succeed. Hmm. Bum and of the episode. Wow. Well, yeah. Well. So yeah, the, the, we're back to my point earlier is that it's a time of crisis, and the president or the, the leader of of the faction is the point of reference. Is the one uh, person, or uh, yeah. Uh, in, in case of humanoids person, uh, that needs to address the, the, the people and take the decision and, and make the decision. Even if they do that with help from Burnham or for vice presidents or, you know, uh, advisors and so on, they have to be the face of, of, of the, of the people. They have to get out there and say, right, Here's the situation. This is what we're going to do. That's their job. And, and she did that. I'm, I'm surprised she, with, with whole, all her expertise in, in um, negotiating, uh, being a negotiator and, and uh, the face of the Federation and so on, that she would even think about doing that, th- this announcement with Burham. I don't know. That, that would have maybe undermined her uh, authority and the confidence of the crew in her. Why? Well, as I said, she's the president. She's the one that has to announce that, to do th- that kind of announcement, to, exactly for the reasons Burnham uh, said that she was strong. She was the the reference for everyone, and doing this announcement with someone else would mean well, she's not sure of herself. She needs someone else with her to to do that kind of of announcements. And but at the same time, it, it's it's Burnham's crew. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> This particular thing goes goes beyond that. It's it's not just a Starfleet thing. It's a people's thing. Yes, it is. Let let me give you um uh, an almost real world world scenario. This is something that I may have to go through soon. So it it is it is relevant. Is yeah. I I have to make a dis, uh, make an announcement to a group of people that will affect one of those group of people. I've invited another senior member of staff to join me 
to assist in making that announcement. So this is very similar to the scenario we have here. Yeah. Yeah. The difference being is that in this scenario, I'm Burnham, the other person is Rillac. Mm-hmm. I've asked this other person along as moral support for me, but also to be able to answer questions. But ultimately, it's my team. So I'm the one that makes makes the announcement to the team and has to deal with the fallout. But this other person, the Rillac in this in this situation, is there basically to I suppose to to, to keep things together to pick up the pieces. Okay. But ultimately, it's still me that makes that makes that announcement. Okay. Let me counter your argument Please. with something else. The announcement was not only for the crew, it was also for the delegates. And as I said, for more than just the crew and the ship. Um, so I think we, it's a gray area, probably, that this announcement was for everyone's benefit. Well, benefit, <laughs> if I can say so. Um, it was for everyone, including non-Starfleet members. That is a good which, point. Which, you know, if Burnham had said that, they would say, yeah, okay, well, you're the captain of the ship, but what about, you know, the rest of us? Well, that's how I saw that when I when, when I watched the episode. I was like, yeah, okay, you, you're, you're right. It's It's more than just the crew. It's also for the delegates. She is still the leader of that, in, in that ship, on that ship. She is that yes. she is the, on that ship. She is still the most senior person, despite the fact the president is there. On that ship, the captain is queen. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess yeah. It's 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 greater. We we could probably debate uh, for the the whole. There's night. no there's no answer. No, there's no answer. No. Okay, so that that was the end of the episode. What did you think? Ah, oh, the galactic barrier. There was so much in this episode, so yeah. much, so much went on. the The plot line of getting the ship through the through the barrier. I mean, that, that was the point of the episode. Yes, but if you were to take everything else that was in there out and just leave it with the journey through the galactic barrier, I think it was far, far too long. There was mm -hmm. too there was too much of it. It went, went so so slowly. Yes, punctuating it with other things, like Book and Tarka on the Emerald Chain Colony, the flashbacks, the question around this communication that Vance gave just before they entered the barrier. What else was there? That was probably. It oh and, and a, f a few side items like uh, Saru and Tarina, Adira, mm -hmm. uh, and the like. It kind of it paced it nicely. So although, like I say, the primary purpose of the episode was getting through the barrier, I think that was that was secondary to everything else that went on. That's my that's my personal opinion. I was we we we, we spent a lot long time talking about the relationship between Oros and Tarka, the interaction between Tarka and Book. For me, I think that was the highlight of the episode. 
because if you're looking purely at revelation, learning about people, learning new things about people, understanding, having things going click inside your head, that was definitely the part of the episode that that did that for me. And Saru and Tarina, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> It, it's 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 getting a little a little bit cringe worthy, very awkward, but yeah. still really really sweet at the same time. It's yeah. like you're seeing young love, early romance, almost kids discovering love and emotion and feelings for the first time. Yeah, despite the fact that these two individuals are very much not kids. No, <laughs> I'm not saying they're old, but. There we go. Oh, Tirina is probably a couple hundred years old. Uh, at least twice. <laughs> at least twice Saru's age. Age is nothing yeah. these days, is it? Nah. No. But no, I I loved the episode. I I I really enjoyed it. I think it had a bit of everything, um, including some bits I didn't like too much. But I can't complain. I think it was. It, it's it's not my top ten. Um, of the. Well, no, no, it will be in the top ten of the series of the season. Of course, it will, but it's it's that not it's, only thirteen of them. So. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's 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 in the it's in the middle somewhere. But it was still a very good episode, well written, well acted, and it it challenged, it prompted question. We've probably discussed more this episode than we have any of the other episodes True. in as much yeah. detail. Yeah, and that that's a good thing. In it my is. opinion, yeah, it is. Mm. So, I, I, not, I have, I don't have the same opinion of this episode than you. I thought the the whole crossing the barrier thing, it was okay if if you could, you know, just ignore the the black and white thingies and, and the, <laughs> the, 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 the all, all that. It it was okay. It was. Um, it was well done. It was a bit of a techno bubble from he- here and there, but okay, I'm 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 okay with that. The whole Burnham versus Relax thing—it's getting old, really. They need to stop. When yeah, apparently, I would say at the end of this episode, there's a chance that this is fixed. Hopefully, we'll see. But the thing I didn't like is those flashbacks. I know it's important for the episode. I know it's important for us to understand where Taka comes from. But it was way too long and too boring. (laughs) They didn't have to do the whole computing the third number of the, the, you know, the the golden ratio. And it's, oh, please... I thought that the first time I saw the episode. I thought that when I watched it again last week, really I didn't like this this part. Maybe it's just me, probably, but it's one you know. In every series, there's the uh, there's that episode that you skip when you when you binge watching again the thing. I think this one is the one I'm going to skip next time I binge watch this uh, this season because I just. Uh, I was, well, no, please. But for the rest, you know, the rest of the episode, Saru and Tirina, of course. Go, Saru. (laughs) Stamets being Stamets, you know, making inappropriate joke at the inappropriate, most inappropriate moments. 
uh, and also him being the the father figure for uh, for um, Adira. In Adira, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that, that, that's that's interesting character development too, and the also the the, the another three hundred and sixty degree flip for 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 uh, Booker towards Taka because. He first was okay, was okay with, with everything Taka did, and then he didn't like that, and then now he's back to being his friend for another episode or two. So yeah, it's it's interesting how this this evolves, and yeah, the the the, the story, the Taka story is important uh, for for us to understand the character, but I really think they could have done that differently. That was, um, I don't know. More interesting, shorter, probably. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's not going to be one of my top five, and it's probably not going to be one of my top ten, <laughs> even though there are only thirteen episodes this uh, this year. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's it's it is good that we are not of the same opinion always, because that makes interesting discussion. Yeah, it'd be boring otherwise. Exactly. <clears throat> that so that's it. Do you have a some trivia for us. I do actually. Just a, f- a few small items. You're going to love this one. This is the first yeah. Star Trek episode to depict the galactic barrier since 1968. Since what the city season, and the age of forever? No, it, uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't included in that one. Um, so uh. the, the season three episode is then is there in truth no beauty? Uh, I don't remember this one. But. There was the one in season two called "By Any Other Name," which, looking at the, yeah, looking at the the picture, this is the one where members of the crew were turned into blocks. Okay, one I've, by one. I haven't watched the original series for quite a while now. And the third one was uh, "Where No Man Has Gone Before," which was episode the official episode one. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Tarka made reference to the barrier being composed of negative energy that could destroy one's frontal cortex. In the first episode, where no man has gone before, of the original series, several crew members were killed, and two of the of the principal characters for that episode were transformed into psychically powered beings as a direct result of having contact with the barrier. So that's a... a oh, no- so it- a nice little sort of back reference to the very yeah. beginning of the Star Trek universe. The Coriant. Yes. And I don't know whether you noticed that right at the very beginning when they were having that conference where Kovich was saying, what you think I know the bar- about the barrier, you don't. Um, there were a number of devices dotted around the table. And yeah. they included 2380 to 2390-era uh, era combadge, which would be yeah. just after Voyager, perhaps. A 23rd century communicator, so one of the ones. Yes, I noticed this And one. 22nd and 23rd century universal translators. Oh. Because obviously they were going into something they never understood. Yes. And early technology is a lot more hackable, I suppose, than, I suppose, than, yeah. than, new, <laughs> than newer ones. And of course, universal translators in, in the current era in 33, whatever it is, 32, whatever it is, yeah. are all built into the comp badge. Yeah. Now you say old, old tech is more hackable, but 
may I remind you that anyone can transport on the bridge of discovery. So <laughs> that I'm not sure they're very concerned with security and non-hackability of their devices. Yeah, but you, you're talking about edge security rather than hardware hacking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But no, that's all that's all the trivia I have. All right. I kept confusing the galactic barrier to the galactic oh, I've forgotten the name of it now. Is it the galactic mm. galactic rift? Because the galactic barrier is the is, is the bit around the outside of the of the galaxy. Yes. But there's another one at the center of the galaxy hmm. where there's supposedly a black hole at the center of the galaxy. Well, in the final frontier, they mm-hmm. made their way to a planet in the center of the cla- of the galaxy. Oh, indeed. Which may or may not have been there. <laughs> every time, every time I watch the <laughs> film, I'm like, okay, they're playing with people's minds a lot here. Is this actually genuinely a thing or not? Yeah. But no, that that's that's a, a, some other kind of galactic barrier, not the galactic barrier. All right, so in that case, I guess that brings us to the end of this review of Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10, The Galactic Barrier. Thanks to all of you for listening to our show. You can help us spread the love for this podcast by building an intergalactic MP3 player and blasting all the 103-ish episodes of our catalog to as many alternate planet Earth as you can, Or, if you think the quality of this show is not even worth the value of the power drawn from the battery of your regular podcast player, you can simply share the address of our website on your social media. Oh, excellent. And you can find our website at tlgreyhot.org, where you'll find uh, the show notes for every one of their episodes. And, of course, you can leave a comment at the bottom of every one of them to tell us how wonderful we are, please. Absolutely. We are also on telegram at t.me slash tghpodcast and also on Mastodon at tghpodcast at 171home.com. Fediverse. And we also stream the recording of these episodes on Twitch at Twitch. I did that every single week. Twitch Twitch. at twitch.tv slash tghpodcast. And we would like to thank my stretcher for being in the chat tonight and uh, 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 keeping us company during the recording of this episode. Thank you to Memory Alpha. As always, we have based our review on this of this week's episode on their work, and this is released under a Creative Commons by attribution, non-commercial license. And the rest of the show is released under a Creative Commons by attribution, share alike license. There's a link at the bottom left-hand corner of our website where you can find more details. We should also thank Maestratio, as he's here, for the theme tune for this uh, this yeah. show. Um, he created it before we even started doing this, and it's uh, it's definitely become our recognizable signature. So thank you, yes. Master Show, for, uh, for doing thank that. Thank you very Let, much. Letting Christmas. us use it. Yes. This podcast is part of the Other Side Podcast Network. Check out our website at otherside.network for all our shows and wonderful hosts, if I may say so myself. Yes, you may. And you're right. And thank you. Our next episode <laughs> will be our review of Rosetta, the 11th episode of Season 4 of Star Trek Discovery. Absolutely. And we have a an anniversary to celebrate. It's been 15 years, almost to the day, that Dave, my co-host, started 
The Buckcast, which is a wonderful music podcast. It's been going on for 15 years without any breaks. So congrats, Dave. And congrats, We've had Caroline. the odd week well, off, but... Yeah, but yeah, a week here no, and there. No hiatus no, or, or yeah. long absences, no. Yeah. So congrats to you. Congrats to Caroline. Thank you. For hosting this show with you. And um, here's to 15 more years. Yeah, well, I think we can get... Well, we've done 750 episodes so far. So 1,500? It's, yeah. it's, it's a target. It's a target? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can... Where's Ro at now? Uh, oh, he's well into the thousands. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Yeah. Can you catch... No, I guess he's releasing also one episode a week, so... Well... You won't catch him. I don't know whether I can catch him with the bugcast, but I did work out in my head that I've done at least a thousand episodes overall. Oh, so... Across all, all the podcasts, shows I do. Yeah. Yeah. You all might, the podcasts, all the Napod Pomos I've done, The Big Slurp, this show, Tux Jam. Um, I'm not going to count Admin Admin because I'm not on those. CC Jam. CC Jam, I've done a few of as well. Duffercast. Yeah, well, yeah, mustn't forget Duffercast. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yes. And HBR episodes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Merci. You're welcome. This is the end of this week's episode. So thank you, Dave, for joining once again. Thank you, Maestrecio. Thank you, everyone, for watching, listening, or whatever you're doing with this show. <laughs> We will be back next week with a whole lot more Star Trek Discovery. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Ciao, ciao. See ya. been listening to a member of the Other Side Podcast Network. Find more about our shows at otherside.network. Network.